Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by two guests who are in new threads in more, one, more, one, more, one way more than one today. Uh, sorry, I really messed that up. Uh, Samuel Lutkers, Tyrone Marshall, both wearing bright yellow. Summer's here. How are you both feeling? Not, not bad, thank you. Yeah, I, I spoke to someone from United today and their first words were pretty much what a, what a beautiful day it is in Manchester and I'm sure that the, the parasitic aggregator accounts listening are thinking, oh, they've, they've dropped a hint at an imminent signing. But no, it was just strictly on the weather uh, and it is it's a, it's a nice day enough. The, the cricket's on and it's, it's July, it's, it's summertime. Yeah, the cricket is going badly, very badly, unless you're an Australian. Yeah, I guess it's Aussie colours, isn't it? Yellow. It is actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess change, so. Yeah, change of yeah, allegiances, yeah. maybe. Might be the. Uh, we we loved the we loved time. Melbourne that much. We loved Melbourne that much last year that, uh, yeah, we can't can't get enough. It got to show our allegiance somewhere or another. And Ty, yourself, I mean, are you enjoying not having football for a bit? You can watch cricket, you can watch the tennis, you can enjoy having a bit of a detox <laughs> from football for a while. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? We were just we were just talking about that um, before the the podcast started on how it's nice to have no football and how as a kid you'd always can't wait for the season to start but now you're actually in it it's quite nice sometimes for there to be no games but it has uh, it has come around very very quickly this year I mean my last game was the Champions League final on June the 10th and now it's not even a month later and there's a game next week so it's um, yeah it has been pretty relentless it is nice just to clear your uh, clear your mind of football sometimes and no summer tournaments as well so maybe that's been a bonus and we'll be raring to go for the Euros next summer yeah, we're fresh and ready to go for that. And yeah, the football podcast where we talk about how much we love having no football to talk about. Um, but there has been activity away from the pitch this week. United have finally completed that deal to sign Mason Mount. We'll get onto the Mount deal towards the back end of the podcast because the most relevant and maybe up-to-date uh, piece of news at the time of recording is United's pursuit of a goalkeeper. Samuel, you've done a couple of lines on United's activity around this department. Uh, where do they stand on it at the moment? Is Andre Onana likely to become a United player this summer? It's probably looking likely that he, he will be their, their next number one. I mean, people at United are talking about discussions being quite quite advanced. There is progress being made there. I believe Murta has been in in Italy as well uh, to, to hold dialogue with with officials from Inter Milan. He's also spoken to uh, figures at Atalanta about Rasmus Hoyland, who we'll I'm sure get into. But it is, it, I suppose, it's somewhat surprising that after last season, United's first port of call. I think everybody expected it to be a striker, but it looks like they might get a midfielder and a goalkeeper in before a striker, and there are possibly factors there uh, regarding Tottenham's unwillingness to, to sell Kane and United moving on to other options who they 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 were on their radar for months anyway it's not like they've um, you know they, they've been caught out there at all they they always had a contingency plan if if Daniel Levy discouraged them from bidding from Kane for Kane and obviously he did because they they dropped that quite quite quickly before last season had ended and with Anana you, you look at it and given how um, impressive he was in the Champions League final some might say well it looks a bit of a knee-jerk um, move from United I, I don't buy that for one minute I mean he's a, he's a goalkeeper who's been known for, for a number of years now dating back to Ajax's run in the to the Champions League semi-final under Ten Hag he played under Ten Hag we all know that Ten Hag has this propensity for favouring players who 
he's worked with or have, have been developed in the Eredivisie. And there was certainly a shift on the club's position with, with De Gea towards the end of last season and, and the run-in, which was just peppered by some pretty atrocious mistakes by him against Sevilla, West Ham, City in the cup final. And it seems like the more... The more we saw of De Gea in those final weeks, the more United became convinced that they had to go for a new goalkeeper. And there's been a shift there that from going where they've whereby they've gone from just being in the market for a goalkeeper to being in the market for a number one goalkeeper. And Anana is probably the most suitable external candidate. Up up to a point, there was maybe an argument that it was worth keeping De Gea for one more year just because there wasn't a standout successor available to sign in the summer but that's just not the case I mean Anano K okay, is under a long quite a long contract at Inter Milan but Inter Milan are in dire straits financially and they have been for some time and there's e- there's there's a pretty easy strategy to to get a goalkeeper you say farewell to De Gea for good he's not he's not currently a United player at the moment because his contract expired last week you sell Dean Henderson for £30 million is the figure that Nottingham Forest have, have touted. If those two are gone for good, that's three hundred and ninety grand cleared from the wage bill. There, there are more funds there to go and sign a goalkeeper. There's more than enough money there saved in wages to um, finance uh, that goalkeeper signing as well in terms of his own salary. It sounds quite straightforward. I'm sure it isn't as straightforward as that, but here United are in early July and they're they're making the right move. I, I don't think anybody are those with the surname De Gea or very close friends of David De Gea. I don't think any right-minded United supporter or follower or um, journalist believes they're doing the wrong thing here. I think the only thing they've got wrong is that they've not said once and for all, he's gone, he's not coming back. That's his United career over and done with. Um, it, it does somewhat undermine their ruthlessness, but make no mistake about it they are they're trying to sign not not just one goalkeeper but but two goalkeepers because the way it's developing it looks like the two most not 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 the two most senior goalkeepers because obviously you've got Tom Heaton there but certainly the the first choice and the second choice effectively um although De Gea isn't first choice because he's no he's obviously not United goalkeeper at the moment but those two are, are going this summer so it's it's logical that they would need two goalkeepers Ty, I know we've spoken a lot previously about Anana as well, but it does feel like that could be a really transformative arrival on the United side. Even if it ends up not being Onana, just a goalkeeper who's more aligned with Ten Hag's thinking, the philosophy, helping the way United play, really, because they have been delaying this decision for too long. And it seemed certain from last summer that De Gea wouldn't be the right fit for Ten Hag. He entertained it maybe longer than he had to. There's a reason why last summer they couldn't go and get a goalkeeper. You know, they had other priorities to address. But it does feel like that is a big missing piece of the jigsaw, doesn't it? Having a goalkeeper who really does marry the rest of the style of play. Yeah, it's going to make a huge difference. I mean, we saw with with Edison and Alisson just how... Um, significant to change and, and how revolutionary a goalkeeper can be to, to how your team plays. I mean, Alisson totally totally changed Liverpool's success, really. And OK, they were upgrading from a poorer keeper all round than David De Gea in, in Loris Carrius, But it can be a huge change. We know Anana fits Ten Hag's style of play because he's played 145 times for him at, at Ajax. So he is an ideal fit. And, you know, if United end this window with Anana as their number one, then I think 
and a younger goalkeeper with a similar style as a number two, then it's worked out pretty well. I, I'm not sure that that have reached that end point with kind of the the clarity of thinking you would expect from 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 an elite club. You know, like, like you said then that it was obvious from that Brentford game, the second game of last season, that De Gea just wasn't a fit under Ten Hag. Yet they've had no idea really what they wanted to do about it. In the space of a month, they managed to make all three of the senior goalkeepers unhappy last month. De Gea is just communicating via emojis now, it seems, um, and, and leaving the rest to be inferred however however people wish. You know, they've they've handled the situation really, really poorly. They're they're gonna come out of it pretty well, I think, if if they get the Yanana deal over the line. But there there has been a real lack of of clarity really and just of of, of ruthlessness, of of strategic thinking. Um you know, like we say, we, we've known this was an issue that, that was coming down the road and it's just not been not been handled well at all. Um, but moving forward, if Inanna is number one come the first day of next season, you'd have to say it's it's promising. He, you know, I said before I was at the Champions League final, I thought he was superb in the Champions League final, mostly with his feet. Um, he's clearly very, very confident with the ball at his feet. He's a very, a very good goalkeeper. Um He's maybe not world class. He's maybe not as good as De Gea in his prime when it comes to to shot stopping and the and the goalkeeping fundamentals. But I would say Edison isn't either. I mean Edison, I thought Edison's best season for City was probably last season, but Edison isn't a world class shot stopper. You know, he's not in the league of Allison for for commanding his area and saving shots. But what he gives City and build up play is is worth that compromise for. And the fact is, he doesn't have that much to do, and and that's the level you need to need to get to where. Anana won't really have that much to do and what he does with his feet is is more valuable than what he does with his hands and the fact is he's, he's better with better than De Gea with his feet and for Ten Hag that I think is probably going to be uh, more important Samuel you mentioned there United could end up signing two goalkeepers this summer a first choice and someone younger who they can mould into maybe a potential first team ready player you've written the line as well um, Zion Suzuki American Japanese heritage goalkeeper playing for Urara Red Diamonds in the J League. Uh, where do United stand on him? Good question. I mean, Suzuki was swift off his line. That that stuff writes itself, really. If he if he does come to United next season, but uh, that's that is still quite a way from being anywhere near done. Um, from what I gather is that United have still not made a, a, a you know or come close to making a breakthrough with the agent on it uh, they have held discussions he's you know whatever stock phrase you want to use on their radar track on their radar sorry tracks what have you but they have spoken about him it's interesting that they've actually branched out to the Japanese market because for, for those who will remember Japan's performance at the World Cup although they didn't really advance that far in it they, they went out the last 16 to Croatia in the last two World Cups they've looked a seriously good side and th- there's almost a bit of an untapped talent um, system there that some very canny clubs have, have tapped into and a lot of clubs still haven't I mean Matoma was one of the best forwards in the Premier League last season uh, I like the look of Kubo at Real Sociedad as well. Japan, of course, beat Germany at the World Cup. They're, they're a better team. They're a much, much better side than they were when they host. Sorry, jointly hosted the World Cup 
in 2002 and strangely enough they they still got to the last 16 then and that's the stage that they've gone out in the last couple of world cups to croatia on penalties in qatar and i think it was belgium in a pretty um captivating and real ding dong in 2018 wasn't it they were 2-0 up and ended up losing 3-2 and belgium scored that that great I think it might have been Marin Fellaini who actually turned the game, but Belgium scored a particularly great uh, winning goal on the counter-attack. And you can't help but feel impressed by Japan coming away from uh, watching them in those those tournaments. With Suzuki, he's, he's very raw. He's a 20-year-old. Um, he's he's J- Japan under-21 international. I'm not sure if he's ever actually played for the for the senior side. He certainly wasn't in the, the World Cup squad, but from speaking to a couple of people who were aware of him before I was aware of him he, he has been described as a as a real top talent there was some interest from a Belgium club uh, not so long ago and you look at Bart Verbruggen who obviously came through at Anderlecht uh, and, and was was groomed by Vincent Kompany uh, I think he made his debut under Kompany aged 18 he's just signed for Brighton for 16.3 million pounds there are a few louder ringing endorsements in recruitment than, than Brighton signing a player so if that was to, to have been Suzuki's pathway into a bigger move um, to, to a bigger European club that, that would have been logical but he, he might end up bypassing that if, if if United managed to make a breakthrough with the agent but as I said that's that still seems to be some way off and with these things sometimes you have to wait for someone to go to justify bringing them in so there are going to be so many conversations held over the coming days and weeks regarding a number of goalkeepers goalkeepers who are contracted United a goalkeeper who was contracted United until last week and goalkeepers that they would hope to welcome to the Carrington press room and present them with a piece of paper and a and a pen to um, sign the possibly their peak years away to United. So uh, I can't say that I've watched Suzuki. I don't think any of us can. Um, Before maybe Thursday morning, the only Suzuki we'd have been aware of would have been a a car manufacturer. But, uh, you know, gleaning from from the feedback that I've had of him, what I can glean from it is that he he sounds like a, a decent prospect. But... You know, we'd we'd have to. You you can't judge a player until you've actually watched him, and he might not actually end up at United. But they they definitely are in the market for two keepers this summer, and and that's completely logical given the situations with De Gea and Henderson. With with De Gea, he he might as well just post a a waving emoji. Uh, never mind a juggling emoji, or, or what was it last week? It was the the yawning emoji, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it's pretty obvious what United are doing. I think if he had any pride, you'd think just, you know, draw a line under it yourself and say that that's it. Because does he really want to be a number two at United next season? Maybe his career has gone that way, but he's he's still pretty young for a goalkeeper. And if his agent works hard enough, he could maybe get him a decent move somewhere. But the fact that there's no demand for De Gea and he's not, fallen into a club immediately again that highlights his his pretty low stock and he's he's a player that united were had intended to get rid of two years ago tom heaton rejoined the club on the assumption he would be the number two this time two years ago dean hendon was the was under the assumption he was going to start the season as united's number one he got covid um, it was he was laid low for a while de gea started the season did well 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reneged on his plans and you know, De Gea, De Gea had a, a decent season under Solskjaer in fairness, even though United didn't. But a stronger manager would have you know, still stuck to his guns and, and made Henderson number one. The fact that United were looking at trying to phase De Gea out two years ago, again, it, it says it all about his his stock and he, he probably did well to get another two years out of United. He, he, he certainly shouldn't be spending a 13th season at the club and it's just strange that a very easy decision that really would not have been seen as particularly ruthless either there's still an element of umming and ahhing going on about it and when when really United should have just been quite decisive over it ensured he had a good farewell a good send-off and thanked him for for his 12 years of service and, and moved on but there's there's still this indecisiveness about them yet there is not a formal offer on the table to De Gea as it stands. And Ty, in terms of the rest of the sort of goalkeeping department then, like we said, there'll be lots of mitigation on who actually arrives and what, what the makeup of that is for, for next season. But we saw these hints when the retain list came out, you know, United offering Heaton and and Bishop those extra extra deals as well to keep them longer. It shows that there is so much sort of uncertainty. And while it's been, it seems obvious from our sort of point of view that De Gea had to leave the, the summer or at least not be the number one going forward, it does still feel like United are, maybe a bit indecisive themselves of what, what happens next. What do you think this goalkeeping department and hierarchy could actually look like next season? Uh, I mean, presuming both of these signings come off, you would presume it'd be Anana, Suzuki, Heaton, I'd guess. Um, but I, I think Henderson's clearly going to leave. Um, I mean, someone United was saying, they're, they're, they're talking to Henderson and we need to ascertain whether he wants to stay or go. I, I mean, he wants to go. It's pretty, pretty obvious he wants to go. Um, so De Gea is going to go. Like I say, that they made all the keepers unhappy. They 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 um, took the extension, the option, sorry, on on Tom Heaton's contract. But Tom Heaton wanted to go and play first team football. He's he's played three games in two years at United. Like Samuel said, was under the assumption he was going to be a backup keeper. Barely had a look in. Got injured as number two last year. Came back, was fit again for the end of the season, and Jack Botland kept his place. And I thought the decision, although it's fundamentally irrelevant to the wider scheme of things in, in terms of the game just a decision to put Botland on the bench in the cup final when he'd already signed for Rangers rather than Tom Heaton who's been a good servant to United across two spells and was number two before his injury I, I just thought that was a strange decision really and not you know not a particularly just reward for someone who's been a good servant and you're rewarding someone who's come in and kicked a few balls about in training before signing for someone else on loan it didn't make sense to me um, and like I say, Heaton, Heaton had interest from Holland Luton. Could have been number one in the Premier League for, for Luton. But United, you know, they had no option but to take his his option, really, because they don't have a goalkeeper otherwise. As, as someone said earlier um, in the week, if if there's a game tomorrow, then, then Tom Eaton's the first choice. And uh, there's not a game tomorrow, but there is a game next week. And Tom Eaton is going to play in, in Oslo because he's the only goalkeeper with any first-team experience at, at the club that they've got. So... I presume he'll stay and, and be number three. Um, you know, from what we hear, he's a very, a very good pro. Um, Ten Hag was taken by his leadership skills last year, which is why it's even stranger, I think, that he wasn't on the bench. But I think it's it's pretty clear that he would have liked to have explored the option at least of of, of finishing his career playing somewhere rather than being third choice. But 
that looks like it's going to be the case. I mean, there's absolutely no point in even trying to keep De Gea as a number two, I, I don't think. I mean, he's on. he was on 375 grand a week. You get that down to 150 grand a week. There's still, there's still no backup goalkeeper in world football on 150 grand a week. It would be a, a crazy, crazy decision. Um, like, you know, like someone said, that's been handled poorly for, for all his game has regressed recently. He's been a very loyal servant to United under some, and, and a fairly reliable performer for a long, long time at a time when the club has been going through all kinds of decline, really. So I think, you know, he, he deserved better than this. Um, but yeah, he's if Anana signs, then it's, it's, it's got to be the end for him. And it's clear Henderson wants to go. So I would think Heaton's going to be the um, the only one that stays. The quirk of the, the backups, backup keepers under Ten Hag as well, I asked him about it, I can't remember when now, but he said he doesn't have a designated number two or number three keeper, which is probably why he thought, because Butland had been on the bench for a run of games, he thought, well, I'll put him on, on the bench for the FA Cup final, even though there was not a great deal of strategy behind it. But going back to Ty's point about having heat and as a very, very senior third-choice goalie. Ten Hag did say in January, he recalled his last season at Ajax when Anana was, was banned um, because he'd failed a, a doping test, I think. Stecklenburg came in, got injured in the August, and I think was out for the rest of the season. And they had some 38-year-old who all of a sudden was went from third choice to first choice and was parachuted into the team. I think he was in the Dutch uh, World Cup squad. But he gave that as an example of how, although it was a bit freakish that his first choice and his second choice keeper were all of a sudden unavailable to him, he he wants that extra security, which is why, I mean, I don't think anybody, any of us thought it was going to happen anyway, but that is why Nathan Bishop, for example, is absolutely not going to be the third choice goalie at United this season. That's all for part one of the Manchester Red Podcast. Join us after the break where we'll take a look at the striker situation. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, you've also wrote a line on Friday morning. Uh, John Murta holding extensive talks with Atalanta over a possible deal for Rasmus. Are we saying Hodgland? Are we saying Hoyland? How are we pronouncing it? Hoyland, I think. We need a Danish Hoyland. fan to write in or you know, get in touch to, to clarify, but probably Hoyland. Hoyland, then, that's, that's what we'll go with. Uh, Audrey had multiple calls, video calls with Eric Ten Hag. He also revealed that earlier in the season. Um, I guess the, the difficulty is that, you know, Atalanta are holding firm saying that Hoyland is a 100 million, 100 euro million player. And is he really worth that risk right now? I mean, what, 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 where do United stand on the situation? Do you think this is one where they're still trying to sort of scope out how much a deal might cost, how viable it might be? The budget, of course, what happens if Unana signs first? Does that effectively wipe out what United have to spend anyway? Where are we up to date on this, Samuel? They won't be spending 100 million euros on him because he's, frankly, he's not worth that. He's, he's, Goal-scoring record at Atalanta is is pretty modest. He's only spent a season there. It's it, it's his international form, I suppose, that has really captured the imagination. I think he got a hat trick in one of his first games, and he's he's got six goals in five games for Denmark. 
He's he's Scandinavian. His surname begins with an H. It ends in a D, as you said uh, a few weeks ago. So it, it wouldn't take much for a giddy Danish United fan to to even try and compare him to to Erling Haaland. Um, he he might be one of the you know elite European strikers in 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 a couple of years' time. Nobody knows. He's understandably of interest to United because he plays in a big five league. It's interesting as well, I suppose, that United have had this uh, propensity for looking at strikers, specifically strikers who've been developed in Austria. Hoyland played for Sturm Graz before Atalanta. Haaland was at Red Bull Salzburg. And Benjamin Sesko, of course, was at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. He's about to... I think he's going to obviously move over to RB Leipzig in, in the Bundesliga for the forthcoming season. So it sounds, it seems a bit strange, but it seems like Austria is is quite a good breeding ground for young up and coming strikers. Haaland's obviously a freak of nature. Sesco, maybe he'll be a, a brilliant striker, maybe he won't be. And now Hoyland is obviously getting a lot of traction. But United knew as far back as around March time that they foresaw that there would probably be issues with any pursuit of Kane just because of the Levy factor and that's proven to be the case and they were very decide they're actually decisive there in you know acknowledging that Tottenham were not going to entertain selling him to a Premier League club so they had to look at alternative options uh, Victor Osserman is a bit of a well he's a, he's a he's a budget buster really he's he's his value is probably greater than Kane's at the moment and then they've looked at the second tier and it seems like uh, as I think I did write it in March as well. It was Hoyland and Randall Kolo Moani. I've I've seen more of Moani than than Hoyland. I thought Moani did very well in the World Cup final, and I don't want to obviously just you know judge one's uh, thoughts on a player from from one game at a World Cup. But you look at Moani, who is pretty much seen as the alternative as the backup option to Hoyland at, at the moment. I think he's 24. He's got the cachet of being a France international. Again, he's operating in the big five league, but one I'd say that is more similar to the Premier League than Serie A. And his goal scoring record is is pretty good in the Bundesliga as well. You, there's an argument to say that he is more suited to what United need. And, and for, for a, I mean, they need a proven goal scorer. And you can't say that about Hoyland. You could make that argument about Moani. But Ten Hag, after the season United have had, they want to back him, and as it stands, he, you know, he's he's held those video calls with with Hoyland. Hoyland is also, it seems like he's effectively represented by Keys Voss now as well, who is uh, Ten Hag's agent. It's not been publicised yet, possibly because a transfer's not gone through, but. That that has been in the works for a while now. I think for maybe the best part of two months. I think Hoyland has been under the SEG International umbrella. And normally, when you change agents just before um, a summer transfer window, it is with one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to get a transfer. Hoyland is at the opposite end of the scale to Zidane Iqbal, but that's what happened with Zidane Iqbal. He joined uh, SEG in May. They promised him a move to the Eredivisie and he's obviously gone to FC Utrecht on a permanent basis. So you can imagine that Keyes Voss is trying to do his utmost to make it happen. John Murta has spent, I was told he's he spent a fair amount of time with uh, Atalanta officials as well. He led discussions, of course, for the Mason Mount deal. 
he will be trying to get that fee down to an acceptable number for United. There will be, it feels, it feels like there are very few deals these days where there are not add-ons for a player and United will always, they will always cite this tight budget. Um, they will cite FFP and amortization comes into it as well. So there are so many nuances to uh, focus on during discussions that I'm sure they spend an hour, maybe hours discussing um, those those separate things, which can seem pretty tedious to you and I, but I suppose in terms of the, the framework of a deal, they are important. And Atalanta, they're not in the Champions League. If they're going to get a good upfront fee for him, and there's you know there are add-ons that can take it towards I don't know seventy-five million maybe lower than that. There comes a point where someone has to tap one of the senior officials on the shoulder and say, "Look, we can't be turning our noses up at that. That is a good fee. He might have a rubbish second season with us, and his value dwindles. Who knows?" Uh, and from Hoyland's perspective, he's, he's reputedly a boyhood United fan if you're in that situation if you're in that position you are going to want to join man united if if you could be their their number 9 and um maybe you know lead their charge at a title challenge that's 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 unbelievable preparation for your first major international tournament next summer because i don't think he went to the world cup with denmark but he will certainly be leading the line for denmark at the euros if they qualify for it yeah, I mean, what, he would have been nine or ten last time United won the league? So, I mean, being a boyhood child, a childhood United fan has a different meaning in this era, doesn't it, to, to maybe what some people were spoilt with growing up in the 80s and the 90s. So, Ty, I ask you this every podcast. I'm going to ask you again. Yourself, I mean, is there a preference of the type of striker you think United should go for? If it wasn't John Mercer, if it was Tyrone Marshall having to pull the strings, um, what, who would you be pursuing right now? Um, I, I think the problem is that beyond Harry Kane and perhaps Osserman, there just isn't that guarantee of being a success out there. And that's, that always comes with, with a big risk. There's, you know, City got the last guarantee of goals in, in Erling Haaland and I think Osman and Kane are the only ones that United are looking at that come with that cast iron guarantee of at least 20, maybe 25 a season. Um, like Samuel said, I was impressed with Kolomowani at the World Cup, but I was impressed with Vegos at the World Cup as well. Um, so, you know, it's difficult to, to say that's, that's a guarantee. His record in the Bundesliga is good, but so, so was Vegos, and it's quite a... It is quite a high score in league, so he's definitely a player with potential. But I don't think there's any guarantee he hits the ground running at United. The same with with Hoyland. It would be a, a huge step up to go from someone who I think he started half of Atalanta's games in in Serie A this season, and has clearly been making big strides. But still feels like a big a big step up. I mean, I guess what it would do would allow them to look at maybe getting Kane on a free next year if he's still available, you know, if he doesn't go to Bayern. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's undoubtedly a gamble. I, I don't think he's, you know, he's certainly not, his record isn't comparable to Haaland's. He, he doesn't come with that kind of cast iron guarantee of goals. He clearly looks a good prospect. But I think if him and Martial are starting, are your number nines at the club next season? I, you know, I'm not even sure it's guaranteed that Hoyland's starting above Martial every week, to be honest. I don't, I don't think there'd necessarily be much be much in that. I don't at this age and, and with the football behind him, you wouldn't think of him coming in and saying, right, he's definitely an upgrade on Martial. He probably will be in a couple of years' time, but 
I don't know if he's there just yet. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think it's the type of striker that Ten Hag would have had his heart set on. I think he probably had his heart set on something like Kane and Hoyland in and Martial out, but it seems pretty clear that's not going to happen now and, and United have got to adapt. And there is, you know, I, I do, I have sympathy with John Mercer really because that, like I say, that market, I just think is really, really difficult this time. It feels like we went through this era of going with false nines and midfielders up front and strikers were going out of fashion and now suddenly they're back in fashion, but there's just not enough of them. So you, you end up either... You know, you, you sign one of the three or four maybe that are a guarantee of goals, or you hope your scouts have are right and you've seen something, and and you sign you sign a gem, which I guess is what they're hoping with with Hoyland. And given that Kane and Osman, it looks like aren't going to be moving. That's that's probably all they can do. I guess Anthony Marshall and Valverde are the two ultimate false nines, aren't they? In the, the, <laughs> neither of them could uh, could really be classed as one last season. Um, um, false. Samuel, yeah, yes. I suppose. Uh, in terms of the attacking um, sort of makeup for next season as well, maybe in an ideal world, United would be able to go and buy two strikers. Uh, obviously, that's easier said than done. Do you still think that maybe at this moment in time, given the takeover uncertainty, given the fact United will have to sell before they can strengthen everywhere, do you think it will be a case of just one addition up front? Or do you think United could still end up maybe getting two forwards at least this summer? I think a lot would have to happen for a second forward to come in. It, it's you know, if if they had owners who invested in the club and actually literally did invest their own money into the club, I don't think that would necessarily be an issue uh, because I think the the cash would be there for that. But at the moment, it is it's needs must. And okay, with thirty million extra for um, if if Henderson goes, you've got that for a keeper, and you've probably just got about enough. If they're to go off this budget, and this budget is exactly what they say it is, they have maybe just about got enough for an upfront fee for um, for a striker. But they're still, you know, clubs are still going to chance their arm and try and have United over a barrel. Uh, because really, if if you've got a, a coveted striker in this transfer market, you will probably look at it as you know the going rate for. A, a future United striker is is a hundred million. That's that's how Tottenham have operated, and with Hoyland and Randall Colomuani, they are the two players who are under contract until twenty twenty seven. So those clubs, you, you can't blame them for chancing their arm or talking about hundred million euro fees in um, in 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 the press. That they're not clearly not worth that figure. But you can't blame them for looking at it that way, and that's why Murta is always going to try and negotiate the fee down because United can't can't afford that. But when you look at United's and and Ten Hag did say this towards the end of the season as well, he said the transfer window in terms of strengthening, it wasn't just about strengthening the eleven. And I think I mean maybe a little bit tentative about it now still, but. Come that Wolves game, you would hope that United, for their sake, they have an eleven that Ten Hag is completely content with. If they get a keeper and a striker, they've got the they've got an eleven that he can look at it and say that is a team completely in my image. He's got two fullbacks under under new contracts. He's got a new keeper, new striker, a winger under contract, a winger that he bought. Fernandes is his captain effectively, two midfielders that he signed, a defender that he signed and 
Varane, other than Casemiro, was probably the player that he spoke most effusively about last season. But Ten Hag did also stress it was important that they address the quality and the depth. And that's the problem they have, in that when you look beyond the starting forwards, I'd say there's maybe one who's a must-keep, which is Garnacho, and they are going to keep him because he's under contract. Marshall is not must-keep, and if he's out of... Well, sorry, he, he could be out of contract next year if he's still at United. I don't care what happens, but unless he has a 30-goal season, they have just got to let him go. Don't extend the, the, the contract at all. You, you're giving yourself a problem, most likely. Uh, the alternative to Fernandes at number 10, it, it could be Mount, but if you were to do two separate 11s, it's Van der Beek. He's not good enough for United. Uh, you can't say with complete certainty that Ahmad will be in the squad next season. Uh, it depends how he does in pre-season. It remains to be seen if he can make the step up at, at Premier League level. Sancho, his his performance in the FA Cup final was borderline unforgivable. Um, Ten Hag was losing patience with him last season. He snapped at him at Wembley as well. It was remarkable. He lasted 78 minutes. Who else is there? There's Anthony Alanga, who was rumbled by Ten Hag and he's been usurped by Garnacho. He's not scored for United since February 2022. So there are too many question marks about too many squad players in the attacking department for United not to consider another forward. But you're going to have to shift probably three of them, two, two or three probably, to, to justify that. And because of fitness, form... Um, you know, and and also in in the case of Sancho, his fee because it was only paid two years ago, United could be saddled with them for another year because what club is absolutely desperate to get Donny Van Der Beek? They won't. If there's a Premier League club out there that wants him, then the, the owners or the director of football should be sacked because th- there's no justification for it. He he couldn't hack it at Everton, never mind at United. Um. Marshall, there's talent there, but again, what club is going to be desperate to sign a player with 17 United goals in the last three seasons and who last completed 90 minutes in a league game in, in, in England in January 2021? Ilanga could do a job at a club of, of, of some in, in the lower echelons of the Premier League, possibly, but he's not, he's not exactly a compelling sell. So... This this is the problem they have, and I just don't see any taker coming in for for Sancho other than one that might think you know if, if we can get him for a loan fee, and and cover a percentage of his wages, maybe we can make it work. Uh, maybe maybe you'd be better suited to us. But you are you you, I mean we talked about United casting the net wide to sign players. The, the, the net is very very narrow for clubs that would be in. For, for those players just mentioned and it's telling as well so far we're we're well into July now there have not been many concrete reports about these players leaving United either I, I can't think of one in fact and um, I suppose somewhat I'm, it's it's, it's going to nag at some United fans but the faces of those players have been all plastered over the, the training images this week and there's a chance that uh, all of them will be starting against Leeds United in Oslo 
Yeah, I suppose until the internationals are back as well, you can't really maybe afford to get rid of some of them because you just need the bodies in for, for pre-season training. I mean, maybe a ruthless club does get rid of them anyway, but United won't be doing that anytime soon. Thank you very much for joining us for part two. We'll be back after the short part, short break, sorry, for the final part of today's podcast. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Ty, Mason Mount's first few days at the club officially announced on Tuesday. Trained with his teammates, well, some of them anyway, for the first time on Thursday. Wearing the number seven shirt, playing as a number eight, he says. It's exciting. It still looks a bit weird seeing him in the United kit, but also oddly looks like he's been wearing it his whole life. He's... He, he's a player who I think has grown on me since he signed already. I, I was a bit sceptical of the, this deal early in the summer, but it does make a lot of sense. You know, he seems like a really likeable person as well. I think he's got the right personality for this United team. What have you made of us maybe first few days and, and what he said so far about being sold this vision under Ten Hag and why he thinks United is the right place for him? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it clearly, we, we, heard a lot about these face-to-face talks about him being offered the, the number seven shirt by Ten Hag and him being infused and sold sold that vision I mean it's the, the type of thing I think you hear from most new signings I, I imagine Varane and, and Sancho were probably sold a vision by Solskjaer in the summer of 2021 and it, it probably didn't involve losing 4-0 at Watford um so I think you're not going to join and say I joined despite yeah, the yeah. I had a chat with Oli and I thought this guy has not got a clue about managing United but I thought <laughs> I'll join anyway man. yeah um, you know it's, it's hard to read too much into it but I'm, I'm with you I think it's a really good signing it's it's not an edgier seats signing it's it's not a thriller minute for for fans but he's just a, you know he's the type of player I thought the most interesting thing arguably was what John Murta said in terms of him being um, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was basically he'll make he'll make everyone else better, and I think he's clearly that type of player. Every manager he's played under absolutely loved him. He's a manager's he's a manager's footballer, isn't he? He's a coach's a coach's professional, and the fans I think don't always see what he does. Certainly when he's playing for England, I think Chelsea was appreciated, but when he's played for England, fans haven't always seen what he does, haven't always appreciated and admired what he does. Um, but I think coaches see it and coaches realise he makes teams better. And I think there's going to be a bit of that with, with United. I think he'll slot nicely into that midfield. I think it looks a really good system now, a really good 4-3-3 with that Casemiro, Mount Fernandez midfield. Um, so yeah, I just think, I think it's a good sign and I think he will. I think he is the type of player that lifts players around him. His, his The intelligence of his game, he's, he's probably the most intelligent footballer in that England team, to be honest, just in terms of knowing when to press, when to hold on to the ball, picking his right moments. You know, he's he's a really, really clever footballer and he does come up with goals and assists. But most importantly, he's just a really intelligent, really clever player. And I think that's gonna be um that's gonna be a big a big boost for United. So yeah, I think he's he's a really good signing for for a pretty decent fee as well. I know we've written a lot about the fee and and the haggling United had to do, but for a twenty four year old England midfielder, I think they've got a they've got a good deal there for sure. And if it's a player that Ten Hag wants as well, then the fee is justified, really, isn't it? You know, if that is someone he wants and it's a key area, then then let him spend it. And as Samuel mentioned in the previous part as well, there is now this option that United next season, their sort of strongest 11, six of those players, six of the 11 could be 
Ten Hag signings. So, you know, there is a real sort of identity there of this team being in his mould and his vision. And like Samuel said, the players who weren't signed by, by Ten Hag are your captain. Rashford, who just had a brilliant season. Um, you've got the two fullbacks and you've got Varane, who's a World Cup winner. So, you know, there's there's a real sort of good core squad there. And yeah, maybe the squad depth will, will be what sort of determines where United finish next season. But Mount's certainly a, a promising addition. Samuel, the fact he's been given the number seven shirt... I know you've written that Garnacho was previously considered as well as an option to take that. Would have maybe been an element of risk for a player who's still very raw and maybe has can't get too carried away at this stage of his career because you know he's he's got all the raw attributes and the potential, but it is only potential. From a United point of view, I mean the fans always want the most exciting player to be the number seven shirt, don't they? United, it's arguably one the most iconic shirt number in, in club football, certainly one of them. And Mason Mount do you think he'll be more Ronaldo or more Michael Owen? Uh, it's it's a difficult, difficult one to answer. I mean, the, the irony is is that his his PR is also Ronaldo's PR, and they try to portray United as this dysfunctional football club after Ronaldo left for the might of Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, of course they were lapping up. Mount being made uh, the, the number seven, which would suggest that uh, their version of events were were, were nonsense. Really, um, I, I mean, I like I like the cut of Mount's jib so far. I think he, you know, the the, the interview he gave to MUTV. He's he spoke very well. I mean, the, the the use of the word family by United now. I mean, I've, thankfully, I've never ever watched a Fast and Furious film, but I'm aware of this on running joke of them using family in in a serious sense, but people look upon it, you know, as, as, as almost this on-running joke now. Um, but the fact that Mount was kind of like peppered with all this, you know, North Korea-style questions, but still spoke in, in quite an engaging way, bodes well, especially for you, ahead of going to Oslo next week, and for, for us, ahead of going to the States on the pre-season tour, should, should I, any of us uh, get the opportunity to speak with him. Uh, but as, as Ty said, in terms of his, you know, he's, he's played under these coaches, a diverse range of coaches. They've all rated him. His his work off the ball is going to be really important. He, he's not a classic seven at United. It's a number that's always gone. Usually it's gone to a bit of a, a maverick or a winger or a, a superstar. I don't think you'd ever really bracket Mount as a superstar. I mean, for us, we, we don't. We don't care what his his squad number is. I, it, yeah, the, there are fans out there that that care about some of those things. There are fans out there whose happiness hinges on on transfers. You know, I can't put myself in that that mindset because I, I I don't I don't think that way. But I suppose it was a it was a surprise when United sent us the the image of it just before they they announced it. It was the number seven. I don't think anybody anybody really saw that coming. And of course, you couldn't. Uh, you can order a Garnacho forty nine shirt in the new kit, um, and again that led the, built up this anticipation that, that he was going to be unveiled as the new number seven. I think Garnacho posted something on his Instagram account, wasn't it? Seven million followers, and it was the the seven affixed to his back, and you thought that was another hint. But in the end, it's it's gone to mount. Um, I don't think anybody's necessarily expecting him to uh, to reach the heights of Ronaldo Mark One at United. But he's he, people will compare him to Ronaldo just by virtue of the number, but it's it's an unfair comparison, especially when United haven't actually 
replace the Ronaldo of the 2021-22 season who was a, a pretty good goal scorer they, they still don't have that replacement that's um, the area that they need to, to fill if Mount gets the ball in in the first couple of games he's going to look up and he's going to see possibly anti-martial um, at the apex of the attack that's that's not a sight he's going to want to to see too often uh, whilst he's he's representing United they, they absolutely need a, a new striker uh, but as I said he's 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 come across really well and I felt a bit sorry for him with his filmed farewell to Chelsea because it was such a Again, you can imagine it's you know it's PRs. I mean, PRs they exist to make people sound like robots, and it's it's counterproductive. And when Mount was in more intimate settings where he wasn't, you know, effectively doubling as for an actor, uh, I thought he came across well in his in, uh, interactions with some supporters at Carrington and and in that interview that he gave. United at Carrington earlier in the week where he was just strolling along quite casually and as I said he was he was talking a good game so I think he was I don't think the PRs did him a favour really with with his farewell video to Chelsea especially given that it was filmed so long ago he had different hair colour so it didn't go down well with Chelsea fans as you wouldn't expect it to but Again, going back to the fee, uh, I, I can't understand some of the um, misgivings about it. He's a 24-year-old who's played in seven seven finals at club and international level. He's a Chelsea Academy graduate. He's Premier League proven. He's an England international. He is an attacking player. I think £55 million as an upfront fee is, is reasonable going, um, you know, uh, I, I the, the the 70 million being touted that would have been excessive but United didn't stray close to that whatsoever even as a final fee but because it's United and I'm not just saying it like I think people have listened to these podcasts know that we are we are absolutely not cheerleaders and we're not on the payroll we we've probably stuck the knife in more often than anybody else but I, I found some of the coverage about the fee to be a bit bizarre especially when Newcastle you look at the fee they've paid for Sandro Tonali who he might be a very good player for them but you look at Serie A in recent years that's not a, a place where you go to and you offer clubs knockdown fees to be signing signing homegrown talent Italy have failed to qualify for the last two World Cups so if you're talking about a 50 or million pound signing that um, a club has overspent for and that club is playing the Champions League next season it's it's Newcastle, it's not United, but as we all know, there's there's a club out there. The, in, the internet tells us there's one club out there that everyone wants to read about more than any other club, and it's it's Man United. It's it's never, ever going to be Newcastle United. Yeah, and again, I'm, like, I do understand the fascination work to an extent, but it's not it's not your money. It's United's money. If they if they deem him worth that money, then they can go spend it. And he's he's a player Tenag wanted, he was available for that fee. They got on for lower than the asking price. So what? Move on. Who cares? Ty, I suppose the final sort of element of all this is the fact that, you know, there was a real, uh, uh, I'm not going to say minority, but there was a real section of the fan base who did want Garnacho to be the new number seven. I think you and I have both written about it since, since it was made public. It did seem like the right decision maybe not to give it to him too soon because he has still got a lot of work to be done. I mean, it's only what it's less than a year ago that he was turning up late to team meetings, and you know he's he's still so raw and fresh on the first team scene. He's he's got the ability, but like I said, it is just potential. And if you don't fulfil that, it counts for nothing. We've seen 
I'm not going to say, I mean, it's similar to be honest, like when Yalazai broke through, you know, there was so much hope, but he didn't fulfill that potential. You look at when Memphis Depay came and he was made number seven, it didn't really help his situation. And for all the talent you have, you have to have the attitude to match it. And I think United have, have handled it well. I'm not saying that Garnaccio is going to turn out to be a flop like those two, but he certainly needs to have his feet on the ground, doesn't he, right now? Yeah, I mean, maybe in 12 months' time, he, he would have been a stronger candidate for the number seven. But, you know, there's, there's a few things that go into it. For starters, he isn't going to be a starter at the start of the season. I don't think any of us are expecting Garnaccio to be a regular in the Premier League team in the first few weeks of the season. Maybe by the end of the season, he'll have forced his way in, but... His main competition there is Marcus Rashford, who scored 30 goals last season. So I don't see him getting in the team at the moment. And and the other thing is, you're right, you, you know, the, the, it, it, it's almost its own brand, that United number seven shirt. And it's, it's iconic. It comes with a degree of pressure, but it also comes with a degree of puffing your chest out and look at me. Um, Garnaccio would have, would have wanted it, undoubtedly, given how much he idolises Cristiano Ronaldo. He would have been the first teenager to have it since Ronaldo in, in 2003 but you know I'm with you I think it's the right decision and I, I don't think it's any secret that United have worked and are working hard to keep Garnaccio's feet on the ground he's had a lot of success very early he had that Argentina call up there's always that element there and you know you only have to follow him on social media to, to see that he's he comes with a degree of confidence and, and cockiness and ego which is it's probably to be expected when you're, you know, you've just turned 19 and you're that good at football. You know, there's there's going to be a degree of that. But they, yeah. you need your wingers to be yeah, self-assured and confident but to beat their men and to take those chances. There, there is a fine line to it, and I think you know, mm. I think there's fears at United that going. We've all seen those players at five aside who think they can run the show, don't they? And maybe have too much. <laughs> indeed, yes. I'm not indeed, naming names. Not naming I'm not names. saying this is me five aside, by the way. Definitely, it definitely Liam is. Collins. Yeah, Liam. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like, like you said, the team meetings thing last year when Fernandez called him out publicly about it on the tour, and there is that element I think that United are working hard to to keep his feet on the ground, to keep him humble, to keep him hungry, and handing him the number seven shirt when he's still not a first team regular. You know, I, I just don't know if that would have fitted into to that really. I think it's better that he he waits for it. Um, I think it would have been it would have been too soon, and I think it's the the right decision. And I also imagine as much as Ten Hag. You know, does know the history of United. I also imagine that he he wouldn't have given a damn about that shit, really. You know, I don't think he'd have thought when he offered it to Mason Mount. I don't think he'd have been thinking about the history that comes with it. Um, you know, maybe a degree of that, but he strikes me as the person that's just not really bothered. Um, you know, about about what it means. And you know, as, as I put in a piece the other day, it's not like the number seven is solely associated with your thrilling edge of your seat wingers I mean Brian Robson wore it for 10 years and he's probably the best centre midfielder the club's ever had um, so it's you know it's not it's not terrible that uh, a central midfielder wears the number 7 no. and you know on the flip side it might be the ultimate motivation for Garnacho now as well to say if you don't think I'm worthy of that shirt yeah, this yeah, season I've got proved to you that, that I should have been yeah. so you know it, it'll work both ways and yeah, like I said, it doesn't really matter. Football's not on yet, but we've got to talk about these things until the games start, and thankfully they are back next week. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ty and Samuel, for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Rich.
Um, thank you very much for listening. Once again, a plug. If you listen to this podcast, it is available on YouTube. You can watch the video in full. And also check us out on TikTok, Man United MEN. You can watch smaller clips of the show there, as well as more daily uploads and, and, and latest news as well on everything Man United. And there'll be some more of those as the tour begins, as preseason begins as well. So keep your eyes peeled. Man United MEN on TikTok. Thank you very much. Take care. And we'll see you again next time.